everybody doing today? Beautiful day here in Nueva York. Um, We actually have some good news coming out of New York, so um, I'll lead with that because it's keeping with the spirit. Um, Jesse Ventura is also strongly considering a presidential run. I want to play some uh, clips that went viral on Twitter for you because it gives you a nice little insight into who Jesse Ventura is. Um, Trump's team released an ad torching Democrats for their Me Too hypocrisy. I want to take a look at that one. And Speaker Nancy Pelosi is supporting a bailout of corporate lobbyists. So that's not good. (laughs) And then we have an attempted coup in Venezuela that now the U.S. is pretending like we had nothing to do with it. Um, You know, we'll discuss that in detail as well as the news about Social media companies, including Twitter, Twitter is um, considering sending a tweet to people, or excuse me, not a tweet, a message to people, warning them when they say something offensive. So that's uh, quite the opposite of what the original idea of Twitter was, if I don't say so myself. And Michelle Obama's in the show. She made some comments that are uh, pretty cringeworthy. She apparently has a new documentary that's out. But anyway, without further ado, let's get started. And uh, like I said, we'll do that with what's going on here in New York. So here's an important update to the canceled New York Democratic primary election. Um, That was obviously something that was very upsetting. I was somebody who was a recurring donor to Bernie and the idea that I wouldn't be able to cast my vote for him, even given the fact that he suspended his campaign, he's supposed to still be on the ballot. 
but New York said, how about we just cancel the election completely? And um, they're doing it because probably they want to screw the down-ballot candidates, uh, down-ballot left-wing candidates, and they want to, um, you know, make it so that Bernie has less influence going into the convention than he otherwise would. Um, I mean, no matter what, Biden's going to win. Don't get it twisted. Like, Biden's going to, I think, win running away with it. But still, Bernie wanted to be on the ballot. I would have liked to go vote for him. And, you know, it's supposed to be the case in a free country, in a democracy, you can go and you can vote for your preferred candidate. So, thankfully, that decision to cancel a Democratic election has been overruled by a judge. So let's watch a little segment explaining what happened. The State Board of Elections is planning an appeal after a federal judge ruled that the presidential primary must be held. The June 23rd vote had been canceled last week over coronavirus concerns. Former Vice President Joe Biden was declared the winner, but former candidate Andrew Yang then sued. And yesterday, a federal judge ruled the cancellation was unconstitutional and said that presidential primary vote in New York must be held. Okay, so massive shout-out to Andrew Yang. I had no idea that he had gotten involved in this, and he sued to try to get the election put back on. But, you know, massive credit to Andrew Yang. In a weird roundabout way, it's honestly like Andrew Yang is fighting more for Bernie Sanders and his team than Bernie Sanders is fighting for him and his team. So, you know, I don't know why Bernie wouldn't have been the one to sue to try to, you know, get the election back on, considering they had released a statement and were like, we don't like this. Um, So massive shout-out to Andrew Yang. Um, and just so everybody understands, the Democratic Party decided we're going to appeal this decision. So they cancel a Democratic election. A court says, no, you can't do that. And then they go, we disagree. We think we can do it. And they're appealing. And the cover story they're giving everybody is COVID-19. But hold on. The election was originally supposed to be in April, late April. Then they pushed it back to late June, I believe, and now they're like, oh, we got to cancel it because of COVID-19, but you have plenty of time to, make, to do an all-male election, so why would you not transfer to doing the election by the mail? It's because they don't want to. It's because, like I said, they would love to screw the down-ballot candidates, um, and they would love to limit any and all power that Bernie has going into the convention. See, the way it works is the more votes you win, the more delegates you have. Uh, When you have more delegates, you get to influence the party platform more at the convention. Now, do I think that they're just going to ignore the platform, even if it was like a super left-wing platform? Yes. But, you know, Bernie Sanders, bless his heart, I I think that um, maybe he is a little naive on this front where he thinks like, sure, if if I influence the party platform, well, then definitely you'll have a further left-wing administration if Biden takes office. And it's like, okay, no, you won't. <laughs> but I still, just as a matter of principle, again, I said it on Kyle and Corrin, I said it on this show before, the fact that I was a recurring donor to Bernie Sanders and every single month I'm giving him money and then it's like they take away my option even to have my voice heard in what's supposed to be a free country, what's supposed to be a democratic election. Like, really? I can't vote for the person I want to vote for with all the things that I had done to try to support my candidate? Like, you're just casually taking that away? And it, it really is, it shows the 
next level arrogance that you get out of the Democratic Party. And then the other thing is, I had gotten a text message. So there was a big backlash when they decided to cancel the election. Um, And then I had gotten a text message. I have no idea how my name and my number gets on these lists. Like, but some Democratic group, like, sent me a message saying something along the lines of, just so everybody understands, Joe Biden has had nothing to do with the decision to take away the Democratic election in New York. And so, like, don't be mad at him. And we can depend on you to beat Trump in, in November, right? It was a text that was almost like a, a pathetic, groveling, begging text, realizing that the New York Democratic Party bit off more than they could chew and really pissed people off by saying, yeah, we're just going to take away the election. And so they were like trying to do damage control almost. So it's just, they're so pathetic and they're so sad. And this is what they do, guys, in the same way that they're going to, you know, if Biden loses, and I do mean if, it's an if, they're going to blame everybody else for the loss. They're going to point fingers like crazy. They're not going to accept any responsibility yet again. And it's just this vicious cycle that we're on. But I do feel like they've gotten even more brazen. You know, the fact that they just like, yeah, we'll just cancel it. Okay, well, now you just set a precedent of canceling elections as a result of COVID-19. So now, why can't you cancel any election for any reason whatsoever? The only reason you're like, oh, this is reasonable is because COVID-19 is a real crisis. But you could, you know, you could theoretically do this now for anything that somebody considers an earth-shattering event or like a big situation. So once you set that precedent, it's not limited to what you're just doing now, which is bad enough, and I don't agree with what they're doing now, but what would stop Trump from saying, I'm going to postpone the election because of COVID-19 still? Because, you know, a lot of experts think it could come back and come back stronger um, come November, actually come October or November. So why can't he just be like, yeah, um, well, New York showed the way and they canceled an election, so I'm going to do the same. So they're like... They just don't care about the precedent they set. They just don't care about how it's interpreted and what it is. They're just power-hungry losers, and they stand for nothing, and it's really upsetting. But anyway, shout-out to the judge that overruled it. Um, Shout-out to Andrew Yang for suing in the first place. And uh, screw every single one of them in the New York Democratic Party, and especially now that they're appealing the decision. I, I, I have to tell you guys, man, In New York, since we have closed primaries, I have no choice but to be registered as a Democrat to vote in Democratic primaries. And that drives me crazy because really, in my heart of hearts, everybody knows I'm an independent. I'm not a Democrat. I'm an independent who caucuses with the left. That's what I am. And I I would love nothing more than to just burn that registration that has me registered as a Democrat here in New York. I wish I could. I wish we had open primaries. I do it in a heartbeat. I do it in an instant. But they have such an undemocratic system, quite literally here in New York, that I have no choice but to be a member of the Democratic Party. So it's, it's upsetting. And I don't like it. And um, I hope they understand how frustrated I am and how much I can't stand their guts. Okay. Now we're going to move on and go to Jesse Ventura. This is a story I couldn't wait to do. I could not wait to do this. So Jesse Ventura 
Ventura, 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 Jesse Ventura. I don't know why I'm struggling to say that name, Ventura. Yeah, that's, that's what it is. Jesse Ventura is strongly considering a presidential run. And um, as a result of that, I saw some stuff pop up on my Twitter feed that are old clips of him. And um, I wanted to share them with you. So you get an idea. You know, maybe a lot of you don't know what this guy's about and what his philosophy is and what his stance on a variety of issues is. Um, so I wanted to go ahead and show you these segments. You'll get a better idea. Now, there's plenty of issues where I disagree with Jesse on. I mean, he had a, a show, I believe the show was called Conspiracy Theory. And, I mean, I, I don't know if it was just for TV or if he believed every single conspiracy that he covered on that show. But, yeah, he got a little bit into Kookiesville with some of the theories that they were covering where I would watch it and be like, come on, dog. Come on, this is going way too far. So, you know, I have criticisms of him. I didn't, you know, I wasn't a big fan of that show, Conspiracy Theory. But um, in terms of his political ideology and his philosophy, he's so much more honest than Donald Trump or Joe Biden. And there's a lot more crossover with my beliefs and my ideology. So there is more of a natural alignment there. Now, he sent a letter to the Green Party basically saying, like, I'm interested in potentially being the Green Party nominee for president. Um, now, there's another guy by the name of Howie Hawkins who also wants to be the nominee. There's, there is no nominee yet, I don't think. Um, and there's other people in the Green Party who are kind of vying for that top spot as well. I got to be honest with you guys. I don't know the process by which they will determine who is going to be uh, their leader. But at least you'll get a, a decent idea here what the one with the most name recognition, Jesse Ventura, Ventura. I don't know why I'm randomly struggling with that. This is what he's all about. Here's a little compilation of some of the stuff that popped up on Twitter. I don't believe that our military fights for the people anymore. I believe the military in the United States is now the strong arm of corporate America. The Democrats who are supposedly opposite the Republicans, I don't believe that. I think it's like pro wrestling. I think that in front of the public, they make us think they're all angry at each other. But the reality is, behind the scenes, they're all in rooms cutting deals. Your mind is uh, pretty made up about waterboarding, correct? You were waterboarded as part of your, uh, part of your Navy yeah. SEAL training, correct? Well, it wasn't part of Navy SEAL training. It was part of what they call SEER school, survival, escape, resistance, evasion. It's a, it's a school they required you to go to prior to the combat zone of Vietnam. And, yes, we were all waterboarded there, and, yes, it is torture. What do you think about Nancy Pelosi in terms of what she has been claiming I, with the CIA lying well, to you? is this, the fact that it happened. If, if we hadn't waterboarded to begin with, none of this would be a controversy, would it? If we hadn't and waterboarded. Torture, wait, torture is torture. If you're going to be a country that follows the rule of law, which we are, torture is illegal. But these are specifically approved techniques with KFM, approved okay? Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, the information we extracted from him before waterboarding was zip. Afterwards, no, he released the information. all of it before waterboarding. This was a case and that was used three times. This. All right, wait. Wait a minute. If waterboarding is okay, wait, if waterboarding is 
Waterboarding's okay, then why don't we let our police do it to suspects so they can learn what they know? <laughs> if waterboarding's okay, why didn't we waterboard McVeigh and Nichols, the Oklahoma City bombers, to find out if there were more people well, what's involved? of our elections and the corruption of the two parties. He's strongly against the two-party system. He hates the Democrats and the Republicans. Um, and he was making a really, really strong anti-torture case there on The View from back during the Bush years. So, you know, those are, those are some positions that I'm definitely down with. Um, we'd have to see what else he would have on his platform and what he would be running, you know, running on. Um, but he's an interesting candidate, and I'm very interested in the stuff that he says. He actually has a, a really strong political history. Like, he was a mayor in Minnesota um, under the Reform Party. Now, the Reform Party was, you know, kind of like an attempt to popularize a third party to, you know, change the two-party system. And he won the highest office of any Reform Party candidate ever. There were some people who ran for president under the Reform Party um, but he won, I believe, in 1991 as mayor of, in Minnesota uh, as a Reform Party candidate. And then he won the 1998 Minnesota gubernatorial election. He was the governor of Minnesota. And I don't know if he was in the Reform Party when he ran um, as governor of Minnesota, but I think he was an independent. So he won as an independent as a governor, which, by the way, I have to tell you guys, that is amazing. Like, that is defying so many odds because, you know, usually we have a two-party system. And I'm not kidding when I say it is so biased against independence. It's biased against, you know, third parties. And so what do you have? You have, like, maybe two independents or three in all of Congress, and one of them, one is a Republican and then switched to an independent? Like... So it's very, very rare that an independent wins anything. Well, Jesse Ventura won as a Reform Party candidate at, for mayor and then won to become governor as, I believe, an independent. So, I mean, this is really amazing. And, but I think what it shows is if you already have massive name recognition, then it is possible to maybe win as a, a true outsider. So, you know... Now he's expressing interest in running as a Green Party candidate. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I don't know if he'll become the Green Party nominee. Um, they might want to go in that direction because 
he's a giant celebrity already. Like he has the name recognition already. So they might want to go in that direction because it makes it more likely to get a higher percentage of the vote, which means matching funds, which means they're taken more seriously. Um, I mean, that's possible. Or it's possible he doesn't become the Green Party nominee. And then does he want to run as an, as an independent? Um, but either way, him entering the race would be a fascinating dynamic. People are already, again, blaming him for the reelection of Trump. They have their conspiracies that he's like, you know, a stealth Trump supporter or whatever. That's definitely not true. Jesse is his own man. <laughs> Jesse is his own man. And remember, just like with, with Jill Stein, she was blamed for the loss of Hillary in 2016. But when you looked at the exit polls, they asked the question to the Jill Stein supporters. They said, if Jill wasn't in the race, what would you have done? And I don't remember the exact number, but I think it was around 15% of Jill Stein voters said, if she's not in the race, I would vote for Hillary, which means the overwhelming majority of Jill Stein voters either would stay home or would vote for another third party candidate, maybe Gary Johnson, or would vote for Trump. So you can't just give Hillary all of Jill Stein's votes. That's not the way it works. That makes no sense. You have to ask them if they would vote for Hillary if Jill Stein wasn't in the race. Now, I suspect in the case of Jesse Ventura, if he were to run, you'd get a similar situation. You'd get like, you know, they could ask that question and you'd probably get about the same number, maybe 15 or 20 percent that say, yeah, if he wasn't in, I would vote for Joe Biden. But my guess is, you know, for all the blaming, if he runs and I don't think he would win if he runs, but he would definitely be blamed if Biden were to lose in that scenario. But listen, it's a free country, man. And we live in a democracy. And even though I'm deeply skeptical of the ability of any third party or any independent to win the presidency. In fact, I, I honestly think it's like impossible. That doesn't mean I'm against them running because it's a free country and it's a democracy. And, you know, if a guy like Jesse were to run, that gives me an option that's much more in alignment with my political views. So it's kind of amazing that you have this strong contingent of people, the party hacks in this country, who are like so dead set on only giving you two terrible options. And it's like, you guys are ridiculous. Why don't you, if you're so concerned about an independent or third-party candidate coming in and, you know, changing things, well, then maybe you should work harder to get the votes of people like me. The idea that I was an impossible vote to get is just not true. I had given my criteria. I had told everybody what it would have taken for me to support Joe Biden. And, you know, none of the things that I'm for, he's not going to meet me there for any of them. So what am I supposed to do? So anyway... Um, I wanted to show you guys a little bit about what Jesse Ventura is all about. Um, you know, I, I'm interested if he runs, and I would love to see all the other things that he runs on, because I think there's a decent chance that he would very handily, very easily pass my, um, you know, my, my litmus test. So we will see. We will see. But I'll say the same thing that I said when it came to Biden and when it comes to Trump you have to pass my lenient standards. And if you don't pass my lenient standards, then sorry, I'm not going to vote for you either. Okay, so we will see. Um, but nonetheless, it's an interesting thing I'm keeping my eye on. I bet Howie Hawkins is a little bit upset at the moment because I think he was the one who was, like, favored to be the Green Party nominee. And as soon as there were whispers about Jesse Ventura, everybody's like, Howie who? I don't know no damn Howie. What are you talking about, Howie? <laughs> Which is kind of funny. But um, anyway, hey, if... If it's not Jesse Ventura, um, you know, maybe I'll look into Howie Hawkins as well, and I'll see. I'll see if he's somebody 
um, that I can get behind. And if he passes my my litmus test, my guess is he would as well. So I don't know. It's yet to be seen. We will find out. But uh, anxiously awaiting for the official decision from the Green Party and from Jesse Ventura himself. Okay, next. All right, Trump's team is destroying the Democrats. So Donald Trump's team released an ad that just absolutely torches Joe Biden and the Democrats and their Me Too and Time's Up hypocrisy um, when it comes to Tara Reid. Take a look. campaign to not only endorse you, but to help highlight a lot of the issues that are at stake, the issues that are at stake. A former U.S. Senate employee has come forward alleging former Vice President Joe Biden sexually assaulted her. His hands were on me and underneath my clothes. You have a right to be believed. We're with you. Do we value women? Do we believe women? Women should be believed. We believe women. I'm very disappointed that there are those who continue to not believe women who come forward. It is not easy, but they should be believed. She is putting herself out there, knowing that they're going to try and excoriate her. And she has the courage to come forward. She has nothing to gain. I stand with survivors. Well, women should be given the benefit of the doubt. These white men, old, by the way, mm-hmm. are not protecting women. Show the kind of compassion and caring that we need from our president, and which Joe Biden has been exemplifying throughout his entire life. Look, I want to thank you. Everybody, I want to thank Hillary for joining us in this conversation today. Trump's team does not mess around. I said it before and I'll say it again. When it comes to playing the game of politics, I think Republicans, generally speaking, they're just superior to the Democrats. I mean, the Democrats, well, the Republicans, don't, don't get it twisted. Like, the Republicans in Washington, D.C., super corrupt. Super corrupt. I disagree with them on basically everything. Um, but they know how to play politics. And the Democrats... They're also corrupt, and I think their corruption makes it so that they're terrible at playing politics with the right. When it comes to crushing their own base, Democrats all of a sudden morph into amazing, you know, tacticians that have strong lines of argument. Like, they fought against Bernie Sanders way harder than they've ever fought against any Republican in my lifetime. <laughs> and, but this is a good example of, like, just how devastating the right can be against Democrats. And, um, I mean, that's a powerful ad, man. Now, you could say, I think it's a fair point to say, who knows how well this will work, because everybody in the country knows, oh, really, you're going to highlight the, um, you know, the allegation against Biden here? Well, Trump's got a million allegations against him. So it's certainly the case that they're also hypocrites. You know, like the Republicans are also hypocrites for highlighting it, because, dude, you got, don't throw stones if you live in a glass house, son. Like, what are you doing here? You know that there's plenty to come right back at you on this same topic. But that never, like, that never stopped them before. That never stopped Republicans before, like the, the hypocrisy angle of it. 
But really, overall, it's interesting because the Republicans, they never, like, pretended to be holier than that. You know what I mean? Whereas the Democrats, you saw in that compilation there, all the time, believe women, yes, believe women, me two times up, so brave, they're so brave. And then the second is, you know, politically inconvenient for them, flip, just instantly flip. So, you know, I think the thing that's so absurd and gets under my skin so much is that they're sanctimonious hypocrites. Like, they were so smug with it and so arrogant with it. Like, us, we have standards, unlike the other people, because we're good people and they're bad people. And it's like, wow, look at how quickly you were unmasked. It took one election cycle for you to be totally unmasked. So it was never about, you know, a, a principled stance against the powerful men who exploit women. It was never about that. Because we all know if you had the exact same allegation with the exact same amount of evidence against any Republican candidate or against Bernie, these same people would be like, oh, you must step down insane, good sir. Shame. Shame. So it's just, they're they're such sanctimonious hypocrites that they're so insufferable. Um, Now, but, but I will say this, even though that's a devastating ad, again, I don't know how well it'll land, because I do really sense in the zeitgeist that, because I've experienced this, talking to people who are somewhat apolitical and don't really get too involved in this stuff, but whenever you bring up the Joe Biden thing, it's an instant reaction that everybody's like, yeah, but Trump's got like a thousand more allegations against him, so like, why are we even talking about this? Now, you could say that's a silly response, you could say that that's not the correct response, that's all fair. But that is the response that people are having. So if Trump is insistent on fighting, um, you know, this election on these, like, social grounds, I don't think that works too well. Um, And I don't think it works too well if the Democrats want to have the fight on the social issues grounds. I think that, you know, whoever focuses on the economic stuff and portrays themselves as the outsider trying to fix the system, that's really the strategy that works better. In other words, Trump would need to run on the, you know, make America great again thing, not keep America great and not this goofy social issue stuff. That's how he would have to run. He'd have to run a similar campaign to 2016 of like, hey, I'm the outsider and it's the old establishment that's, you know, preventing me from making all the changes to help you. So you got to vote for me again so I can defeat this establishment. Um, It makes it harder for Trump to do that now with the pandemic, but I think that's still the path for him. Whereas with Biden, just hide him. (laughs) Just hide him. Want to know why? Because it worked in the primary. You hit him. He didn't say Dickie McGee's axe. People were voting based off of their perception of who Joe Biden is and what Joe Biden is and their memories of him from back in, like, you know, 2012 or whatever. And, like, that's why Biden did well. It's because people thought, oh, we need somebody who's electable. Crazy Bernie's not electable. Joe is electable. And so they voted for him not knowing he could barely speak. So, you know, you got to keep hiding him, I think. I think, because that's his best chance of winning. And, um, you know, the the sad reality is he really should try hard to also pick up some youth votes because he's struggling massively in that area. But who knows if he even needs the youth vote because, again, he crushed in the primary without it. So we might have, like, an all-old-person voting election 
which is really something to see. You're going to have a very, you could conceivably have a very low turnout among young people. But either way, I think this ad from the Republicans is devastating. But um, I don't know how effective it'll be. And I don't know how much time they want to spend on the social issues grounds. So, you know, we'll see how effective it is. But one thing's for sure, regardless on what issue we're talking about, Trump's team and the Republicans are willing to go for the jugular in a way that you just never see from the Democrats, unless it's corporate Democrats going after the left. Okay, now, um, Nancy Pelosi. Wait, where was I? There we go, right there. So the next COVID bill looks like it's going to be just as bad as the previous ones. Speaker Pelosi supports push for taxpayer bailout of corporate lobbyists. This is, um, this is unbelievable. This is like next-level corruption. So Lee Fong of The Intercept says, K Street may soon have its own taxpayer-funded bailout. Industries as varied as oil refining, construction, fast food restaurants, and chemical manufacturing are seeking federal cash to support their lobbyists in Washington, D.C., Many of the largest lobbying forces are organized under the 501c6 section of the tax code as trade groups. Corporations with similar concerns pool their money together to fund trade groups, which in turn employ thousands of lobbyists to shape elections and legislation on a daily basis. But the Paycheck Protection Program, the centerpiece of the Small Business Rescue Program, excluded such trade groups. That could change in the next round stimulus legislation, which Congress is scheduled to debate later this month. Lobbyists have stepped up a campaign to make sure professional influence peddlers are eligible for PPP or P3 funds. The push also includes a demand for an additional $25 billion for canceled events and other lost revenue from the coronavirus pandemic. Senior Democratic lawmakers, including House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, plan to accommodate the demand and change the eligibility standard so that small business bailout money can flow to business advocacy groups. Now, if that doesn't sufficiently piss you off, I don't know what's wrong with you, but let's say for a second that doesn't sufficiently piss you off. Here's a quote from one of these groups that are vying for bailout money. Okay, This is from a branch of the Chamber of Commerce. And here's what a lobbyist for a branch of the Chamber of Commerce said, quote, during this difficult time, business trade associations, that's lobbyists, are performing an essential role for our state's businesses. We transmit information, we answer questions, and we ensure that our members have the tools they need to comply with the deluge of laws, orders, and regulatory changes that are being introduced. So that's this person saying, us lobbyists, we're like, you know, we're like essential workers, and the work we do is so important that obviously we deserve bailout money. So Nancy Pelosi, the Democrats, and the Republicans want to fund the exact people 
who are corrupting our political system and screwing us over. Make no mistake about it. The, the main reason why regular people, working people, have gotten crushed during this pandemic and have not gotten adequate support from the government is because our government doesn't represent us. Our government is bought and owned by the corporations and the lobbyists. And now all of Washington, D.C. is like, I got it. Let's bail out the same people who screwed over regular Americans, screwed over working Americans every single step of the way. Their very existence diverts our job and our attention from working for regular people to working for the corporations and being total sellouts. And Nancy Pelosi wants to give them a bailout. All of Washington, D.C. wants to give them the bailout. In fact, I bet, I bet the numbers are going to be overwhelming for a bill that does bail out lobbyists. I, I can guarantee it. So this is where we're at. This is how corrupt the system is. And by the way, where the hell is the media on this? Have you heard anything on CNN or MSNBC or Fox News or any of them? No, of course not. Because they're part of the establishment. They're corrupt. They're in on the game. They're not giving you the real information. They're not giving you the straight dope. They're not giving you the facts. They're not explaining to you exactly why it is that we don't have a UBI and we don't have a rent freeze and we don't have a mortgage freeze. And you have leaders in D.C. telling states when they're asking for COVID funds, they go, but just go bankrupt. Hold on now. Hold on. We passed $5 trillion in bailout money and you're telling states to go bankrupt so that they cut their pensions and screw working Americans? Do you understand how insane that is? Where'd the $5 trillion go? As Justin Jackson says, $5 trillion in, in bailout money, and you still have to pay your rent on no income. So hold on. What was that money for then? Where'd it go? Where'd all that money go? I thought that the idea was, hey, we got to bail everybody out because the economy grinded to a halt. So obviously, we got to help people. We got to fix the system here. We got to put a Band-Aid over this gaping wound. But no, the $5 trillion, it goes to corporate America. It goes to the big businesses. It goes to the shareholders. It goes to the owner class. That's who it goes to. And then now the conversation, before we get a rent freeze, a mortgage freeze, a UBI bill, hazard pay, before we get any of the things we desperately need, before we get universal health care, we're going to bail out lobbyists with tax money. So everybody's still paying their taxes on no income, no job, Everybody's still paying their taxes, and they're going to rob you to give it to the people who are corrupting our entire political system. There are no words for how disastrous this is and how evil this is. This is imperial decline. I've never seen anything like this before in my life. They're so brazen. Guys, they are so disconnected from regular people. I mean, the fact that Nancy Pelosi did that segment on whatever it was, one of the night sh late shows, James Corden or whoever, you know, laughing in front of her $12,000 fridge and freezer, and she's got two of them. <laughs> oh, yes! I love eating ice cream! Yeah! Look at my ice cream! It's like designer ice cream, the most expensive kind you could get. The fact that in the middle of this crisis, you don't have the wherewithal to go, whoa, 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 everybody's struggling out there. I'm not going to do a... a a giddy laugh-along segment where I'm showing everybody my ice cream and tee-hee-hee, look at this. It's so out of touch. How did you not know how out of touch that is? How do you not know how out of touch this is? How this comes across? 
Guys, some of the first things you should have done in this crisis with the lockdown, universal basic income for the duration of the crisis, at least, rent freeze and mortgage freeze and hazard pay. They didn't do them yet. We're on our fifth freaking bailout bill. They didn't do them, but they're talking about bailing out lobbyists? Tax money to lobbyists. You're out of your damn mind. This is how corrupt they are. This is how corrupt they are. And then we'll get to a story later. Joe Biden, running for president, doing a video with, uh, what's his name, Keegan Michael Key, and like, how Joe's eating ice cream and they're playing cards. <laughs> Do you have any threes? Oh, yeah, I have some threes, Joe. <laughs> they're joking around, having a good time. Dog, the unemployment rate is now 24.9%. That's Great Depression territory. And you're trying to go viral with cutesy little videos? On Twitter? What is wrong with you? Why is everybody acting? Why are they acting like we're not in a crisis? Like this is just business as usual and politics as usual. And like we're not in an earth-shattering, world-changing event right now. I'll tell you why they're acting like that. Because they're disconnected from the real pain out there. They're disconnected from the real people. To them, it's all intellectualized. They see the numbers on the screen, but they don't feel it. They think, wow, that's a high number. Anyway, let me get back to showing everybody my, you know, my designer ice cream in my fridge. They are so immensely out of touch. I've never seen anything like this before. And the urgency of this crisis, and this is how they're responding. We're going to bail out lobbyists. All I have to say is, in Washington, D.C., they are legitimately lucky. They're lucky that we have so many amazing distractions. Or else, people would be out in the street with pitchforks and torches. Because, you know, honestly, it really is just the distractions, I think, that prevent that from happening. It's just the fact that, you know, you got a thousand channels on TV, and you got Netflix, and you got the Internet, and you got podcasts, and you got this modern system has so many amazing distractions where it can help people kind of channel their anger and their energy in a way that diverts it away from the problem. And they better thank their lucky stars that we have these amazing distractions in today's day and age. Because nobody can get out there with pitchforks and torches because they're too comfortable in their homes as everything around them is burning down because we have the distractions. If we didn't have the distractions, oh my God. The system is already unstable. It'd be way more unstable. And we would like, it would get dicey, man. It would get dicey. But um, there you have it. This is what they're focusing on. Not UBI, not hazard pay, not rent freeze, not mortgage freeze, nothing for the people, crumbs. But they want to bail out lobbyists. And they have the nerve. To, the lobbyists are openly discussing, like, yeah, I think we're essential. You're essential to the destruction of democracy and the destruction of the country. You're the corrupt parasites and leeches that are screwing over regular people. That's what you're essential for. Okay, next. Go to Mike Pompeo. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo flipped out at a reporter for basically 
calling BS on him when he claimed that China created um, COVID-19 in a lab and it was released. And I don't know if he's gone as far as to say it was a bioweapon. He's saying like, hey, it was created in a lab and then it was accidentally released. I don't know what his exact claim is, but he has stated now multiple times that, you know, COVID-19 was created in a lab. And so basically this reporter chimes in and goes, well, hold on now. There's not, there's no other country on earth that is claiming this and that can verify this. So honestly, it's beginning to sound a little bit like the claims against Saddam Hussein early on after 9-11. Oh, he was responsible for 9-11. He funded them. He worked with Osama bin Laden. He worked with Al-Qaeda. Now, we know in retrospect that was all BS. Even the idea, oh, he has weapons of mass destruction. All BS. But the U.S. was claiming it. We were the only ones claiming it. And then we mucked up like a bunch of fake evidence. This is beginning to sound like that. When everybody around the world is like, no, it wasn't created in a lab. It was created in a wet market. And the U.S. alone is like, no, it was created in a lab. And that means that, you know, we really got to blame them and really got to raise tensions with them. So this reporter's doing her job and look at his response. And so on. So I'm just wondering, um, and also the ICA statement last week doesn't sort of talk about any evidence. Are you basing your assertion on information that all of these parties do not have? And a second question. Barbara, Barbara, let me just let me just put this to bed. Your efforts to try and find just to spend your whole life trying to drive a little wedge between senior American officials. So 
he's as bad as it gets. He's as hawkish as it gets. He's as imperialistic as it gets. Notice how touchy he is when he gets called out by a reporter. He's so touchy. And then he makes it personal. Oh, I see you're trying to drive a wedge between different intelligence officials. She's trying to get you to verify a claim that you made and to prove a claim that you made and to show evidence for a claim that you made. Her doing her job, but notice, oh my God, it seems he's so triggered by it. He's so offended at the fact that a reporter's actually doing their job because he expects reporters to be stenographers for him. Stenographers to power. Because that's what they've been historically in the U.S. That's why we had the lead up to the Iraq war that we had because people weren't questioning officials. People take the word of the intelligence agencies and our politicians, our leaders as gospel. When you shouldn't, you should try to verify them. You should try to fact check them. They're not gods from a mountaintop. These are human beings with their own biases and with their own preferences. And they could be trying to force the national narrative in a certain direction. And that's exactly what's happening here. And we've spoken about it on, a, on multiple different shows. But this is what they're trying to do, guys. They're absolutely trying to divert blame, divert attention. If we're only talking about China and how terrible it is that it originated there and they lied early on, then they are successfully changing the conversation from what we did here early on, which is the exact same damn thing. What we did here is we downplayed, we lied about it, we contradicted ourselves, we didn't prepare the proper number of tests, the proper number of ICU beds, the proper number of ventilators, we weren't strong enough. We did so many things where we messed up. They don't want to have that conversation because they have that conversation, they lose the next election. So instead of that, what do they do? Uh, the China Wuhan lab, it was made in a Wuhan lab. Was this a bioattack? Was this a bioattack? I don't know. Maybe it's a bioattack. If we blame China and put all the onus on them, then we walk away scot-free and also we enter into a new Cold War-like situation, which of course these guys want because they're the neocons. They're the hawks of hawks. So of course they want a new Cold War. Of course they want a more standoffish situation. And of course they don't want uh, anybody challenging U.S. hegemony. And that's what this comes down to. So, God, you got to get this guy out of this position, man. Dangerous. Dangerous. Him and John Bolton are so dangerous. And uh, look at how he melts down when a reporter does their job. Okay. Let's take a break. When we come back, there was a coup attempt in Venezuela. And that was wild. And I'll show you a little video on it. We'll talk about it. Um... A lot of open questions in regard to that situation. So stay right there. We'll be right back.
Son of a bitch. All right, everybody, I'm back. This next story is uh, out of this world, and it is absolutely something you will not see be addressed on mainstream media because um, it's embarrassing, and uh, they will act like this didn't happen. Um, It involves Venezuela, an attempted coup. We uh, Honestly, there's still a question as to exactly who's behind it, but... hmm. Let's jump right into it. And I got a video for you, believe it or not. Vice covered it, thank goodness. Got somebody who uh, who brought it up. I wouldn't say that they're mainstream, but better than nothing, I'd say. All right, here we go. There was a coup attempt in Venezuela. So there was an attempt to oust Maduro, um... The details of this story (laughs) are absolutely insane. I mean, there's still, you know, I guess somewhat of an open question as to who's behind it. But um, Vice did a little piece on it. Check it out. Florida-based security firm mocked online after botched coup attempt. Nicolas Maduro says 13 people, including two Americans, are in custody for trying to oust him. They were playing Rambo. Killed during the failed incursion Sunday, according to Venezuelan officials. The armed men were intercepted trying to enter Venezuela by boat from Colombia. Silvercore USA, a Florida-based security firm, claimed responsibility for organizing the attempted invasion. The company is run by Jordan Gaudreau, a former Green Beret. 1,700 hours, a daring amphibious raid was launched from the border of Colombia deep into the heart of Caracas. He told media he was hired by Venezuelan opposition leader Juan Guaido, who was supposed to pay him $212 million for his services. Guaido denies any involvement. Maduro accused the United States and Colombia of orchestrating the plot, but both countries denied involvement. We'll find out. We just heard about it. Uh, But whatever it is, we'll let you know. But it has nothing to do with our government. Gaudreau has claimed Silvercore USA provided security for a Trump rally in 2018. And on the day of the failed coup attempt, the company tweeted at the president. Since then, they have been mocked on social media for the failed operation. By Wednesday, Silvercore USA deleted their Twitter account. I'm speechless. I'm speechless. Okay, so the first the first topic of discussion is do you believe Trump when he says like, "Oh, this had nothing to do with our government?" Cuz, you know, I mean, this seems really bush league, dog. They got caught by Venezuelan fishermen. Fishermen. <laughs> So, you know, listen, I think there are many critiques to be had of the U.S. military and U.S., you know, special special ops and intelligence services. But, I mean, are they that bad where they get caught by fishermen? I mean, that's really bad. Like, you got to be so – I mean, Trump says it had nothing to do with the U.S. government, but it is true that they 
Silvercorp has provided um, security for some Trump rallies, so there is a connection there. Um, but it does seem really Bush League as to how they did it. And, you know, Juan Guaido, make no mistake about it, his, what he's been doing is, like, comical beyond belief. This is a guy who's, like, pretending that he's the leader of Venezuela, and you have U.S. and U.S.-aligned governments around the world. They've all agreed to pretend that as well. So, like, they'll invite him here as, like, the head of state of Venezuela is here, like the real, you know, leader of Venezuela, because Maduro's not, he's illegitimate. We got the real guy here, Juan Guaido. But, like, he's actually not in power in the country. He's not in control in the country. He's not the leader. It's not true. Like Maduro, dislike Maduro, it's irrelevant. He's the leader of the country. He's running it. <laughs> but we just, we've, like, engaged in this long-term thing of just, like, everybody play pretend, and then maybe if we fake it long enough, it'll happen. And so Juan Guaido goes around the world as if he's like the leader of Venezuela. And everybody's like, bro, what are you doing? This is ridiculous. Why are you playing pretend? I mean, what a silly human being. And then now they say, you know, Juan Guaido hired us for 200 some odd million dollars. If, if Silver Corp was getting paid 200 some odd million dollars, and I have no idea if that's true or not. But then you go, oh, the U.S. government had to be involved. Had to be involved. Because ain't nobody getting that kind of money. You know, like some person is getting that kind of money. Nobody has that kind of money. Freaking billionaires barely have that kind of money. Okay, they do have that kind of money. But it's a lot. It's a hefty chunk of what they got. So you would think that the U.S. government has to be behind it. So my guess, and I'm admitting up front, everybody, this is just pure speculation on my part. But I do think that um, the U.S. government was behind it. Because remember, and this is an important point, what do Republicans love? Privatization. So you always get these kinds of public-private partnerships out of Republicans because they love that. They love the private sector. They don't like the government. So Silver Corp, it's like, let's hire Silver Corp. And it, it, so this way we have plausible deniability if they get caught. You understand? That's a super important point. See, now they have plausible deniability if they get caught. And now they turn around and go, because this was probably part of the deal. U.S. government was probably behind it, but part of the deal was if you get caught, we didn't have Dickie McGee's act to do with this. This is on you, dog. This is on you. And so now they get to act like, no, 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 we acted on our own. It had nothing to do with the U.S. government, and they'll, they take the fall for it. But that was probably in the terms of an agreement. So if this had succeeded, Trump and the U.S. government would turn around and say, yes, we contracted with Silver Corp, and we overthrew the dictator Maduro. Freedom comes to Venezuela. Freedom. Yes. Now we're going to put in our puppet dictator, Juan Guaido. (laughs) So my guess is the U.S. was behind it. But the deal was if it succeeds, we take the credit. If it doesn't succeed, you take the blame. And that was probably the terms of the agreement. And that's probably why the dudes who tried it got paid a lot of money. But now they got caught. I don't know what was going to happen. I don't know. (laughs) I have no idea how this is going to end, if they're going to be put in a Venezuelan prison, if they're going to be killed, if they're going to, you know, somehow there's a deal and they get released. I have no idea, but, man, this is, it's like that new show. Know that new propaganda show? What's it called? Is it Jack Ryan? I might be making that up. Um, But there's a new, like, propaganda show, and it was, I think it was on Netflix, where some dude plays, like, you know, like, 
oh, Venezuela is going to, like, attack the U.S. They're going to do, like, a terror attack and, like, nuke us or whatever. And then you have, like, you know, the American with the beard, and he's like, bro, I'll go save the day down there. Don't think anything of it, bro. I'll go, I'll go stop the evil dictator who's going to nuke the U.S. And they portray, like, us as the good guys, Venezuela as the bad guys. It's such over-the-top propaganda. It's so ridiculous. But, like, these dudes watched one too many episodes of that show and thought, like, oh, we're going to do this thing. And they got caught by fishermen. (laughs) I can't. I can't get over that, man. That's so silly. Um, Anyway, total losers. Um... (laughs) Can we wrap this up with the whole, like, attempt? Because this is what the U.S. has done for so long now. It's like, let's put tremendous economic pressure and sanctions and an embargo and, and screw over Venezuela from an economic perspective and screw the population in an attempt to piss off the population to the point where they turn on their own leader. But that doesn't happen. Usually if there's sanctions from the outside, people fall in line more behind their leader. We're screwing over the population. We're doing these economic sanctions. You know, I'm not defending Maduro here, but... For Christ's sake, can we support sovereignty of foreign countries? We don't have a right to run the world and own the world and topple whatever damn government we want. You have to support territorial sovereignty for nations, for countries, for sovereign nations. It's none of our business what they're doing there. You don't have to like them. You don't have to like Maduro. But we don't get to put Guaido in there because we like them. It's not the way it works. Mind your damn business. So enough, enough, enough with this. And by the way, I bet you there are going to be more attempts like this. Because look at what we did with Cuba. Look at what we did with Cuba. We tried this a thousand times with Cuba. So probably more attempts with Venezuela. But God damn it, could we just mind our damn business? You know, uh, and really what it comes down to is the U.S. wants all the natural resources over there. They have tremendous oil wealth in Venezuela. Tremendous oil wealth. And it does have a lot to do with that. And before you say, Kyle, that sounds really conspiratorial, do not take my word for it. Take John Bolton's word for it, because he said it on Fox Business. He said, effectively, they got a lot of oil there, and it'd be nice for our oil companies if we get our hands on it. Well, there you have it. And now you see why, you know, Mr. Bean and his merry band of idiots got caught by fishermen. Okay, next. Social media companies somehow keep getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, This time it's Twitter. Reuters says the following. Twitter Incorporated will test sending users a prompt when they reply to a tweet using offensive or hurtful language in an attempt to clean up conversations on the social media platform. The company said in a tweet on Tuesday, when users hit send on their reply, they will be told if the words in their tweet are similar to those in posts that have been reported and asked if they would like to revise it or not. Twitter has long been under pressure to clean up hateful and abusive content on its platform, which are policed by users flagging rule-breaking tweets and technology and by technology. So, okay, let me explain to you what I think happened here. You have the verified class, the blue checkmark class on Twitter. And um, listen, I I have a blue check. I'm not immune from this, but what I am saying is 
you have a lot of oversensitive, like wealthy blue check people, famous blue check people, who they'll read their mentions and they will they can't handle it because they can't the criticism is too much, it's too over the top, it hurts their fifis, and they're like somebody's got to do something about this. And that's why you see like the whole Bernie bro narrative. Yes, it was mucked up and they ran with it for far too long and it was ridiculous. But a lot of that is birthed from the fact that a bunch of dumb reporters for mainstream media said dumb things and then people on Twitter were like, hey, that's really dumb. And they were like, oh, is this what oppression feels like? Yes, it's oppression. It's oppression to say mean things to me. You got to be nice. Yes. So that's what this is birthed from. It's birthed from a bunch of oversensitive, pampered little pricks who are famous and wealthy, who don't like it that the peasants get to respond. And so the fact that Twitter executives, they're always hearing from those people. Those are the people that Jack knows. Those are the people that you rub elbows with at the cocktail party. So he feels the pressure from these people, eventually yaks on it. Eventually, Twitter's like, all right, we've we got to do something about it. It's obviously a big problem. But it's not a big problem. It's only a problem among the freaking group of idiots that you guys are with, and you guys got way too much time on your hands to, to care about what people are saying on Twitter. Let me explain something to you. You don't like it, don't read it. That's it. Or use the block button or use the mute button. But move on with your life. The fact that Twitter has given us from day one, I believe, they had the block option and they had the mute option, right? Or if it wasn't from day one, it was pretty early on. They gave you all of the tools that you need to handle this. Block or mute, that's it. But instead, they, wanna, they keep going further and further and further. Because really, what these wealthy blue check elites want is a safe space. They want to be able to say whatever dumb thing comes to their mind and get no criticism. They want freedom from criticism. And that is the criticism and the freedom of Twitter. That was the original beauty of it. If you take that away, you got Dickie McGee's act. You got a bunch of oversensitive, pompous elites sniffing their own farts and telling them it smells lovely. So I, this is so sad. This is wealthy blue check idiots who don't like their rude mentions. And, you know, in the same article, they go on to point out that Twitter took action against almost 396,000 accounts under abuse policies and more than 584,000 accounts under hateful conduct policies between January and June of last year. So they're ramping it up, man. They're ramping it up. And then the other thing is, it's, all, it's subjective. It's totally subjective. So if you're in an argument with somebody and you call them an idiot or they call you an idiot or moron or stupid or whatever, Twitter might you know, pull the red card on that and say, whoa, 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 be careful here. But in my opinion, that's well within the realm of what's reasonable. That's not hateful. That's like a common thing people say to each other if they're arguing, if they have a vehement disagreement, if they have a strong disagreement. Who cares? Butt out. It's not that serious. Like, if you want to say, sure, there are certain things that cross the line, and if there's, like, repeated harassment or, or violent threats, everybody understands that there's some lines, and you got to act accordingly then. But in my opinion, you have to be so lenient with everybody else, because who's to say what goes too far and what doesn't go too far? You don't you know, you don't get to police the kinds of conversation people have. Some people can be best friends and call each other terrible things, but it's part of their friendship is that they say ridiculous things to each other. So it's just, 
you're, you're trying too hard. You're trying to micromanage. You're trying to censor. You're, and it's just you're taking away the thing that made it good in the first place. So maybe you just tune out. Like, in order to be a good leader, you have to have the ability to pull the BS card. And if you get a bunch of these blue check idiots telling you that, like, oh, we must do something about the rudeness on this site, yes, you have to be willing to say, no, we don't. Now piss off. That's what a leader would do. Are you going to say, well, the original principles on Twitter included freedom of speech. Like, yeah, let's have a free platform. And then now they're like, you know, freedom is a little too rude. Let's tweak it a little bit. Let's change things. Dude, I'm just for all the people whining out there, just don't read your mentions or use the block or use the mute. Move on with your life. It's not that damn serious. You're going to ruin a platform which was otherwise awesome because your feelings get hurt. I don't care about your feelings, and nobody should care about your feelings. It's really not that serious. We're all against harassment and legit abuse, but the problem is these people will not draw the lines in a reasonable place. They will not do that. And I know that because we've experienced it when it comes to YouTube. And when they decided, let's prop up authoritative news sources. Guys, just so everybody understands, it wasn't even that long ago that this channel obliterated CNN and MSNBC and all the mainstream media networks. They'd release a video and they'd be lucky to get 1,000 or 2,000 views on it. But guess what? When you change the algorithm so that every single time you look for anything political, it always redirects back to CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News, and the nightly news, CBS, ABC, so on and so forth, that's why those channels now get amazing numbers. Because YouTube had to change the algorithm to prop them up. And then channels like mine, which were doing really well with a totally free and open and fair system and a fair algorithm, now were deprioritized. And we're deprioritized because we're not authoritative. So in the minds of the YouTube people, I don't know. I, don't, I can't trust what that guy's going to say. I don't know what that guy's going to say. He, sometimes he has edgy takes. I guess let's lump him in with people on the far right who might be like, hey. Because, you know, anything that's not authoritative belongs in that category. And so then, boom, all of a sudden, you know, you get growth slows massively, recommended videos slow massively. And it gets right back to the original point, which is I don't trust any of these social media companies because they'll tweak, you know, the original mission into oblivion. And it's embarrassing and it's pathetic. And they want to now people turn to YouTube to escape like the stupid cable, cable, um, you know, layout. And then now you have YouTube TV and the people at YouTube are like, I got an idea. Let's make this like that stupid cable thing that everybody was trying to escape. Know your role. Know what you're, why people liked you in the first place. It's so embarrassing, and it's so pathetic, and it's so sad, and it has a terrible impact on real people. And, you know, it's, I don't trust them. I know you guys don't trust them. And I, I mean this across the board. I mean the Facebooks. I mean YouTube. I mean uh, Twitter. I mean, I don't trust the leadership. I think they're going to micromanage these companies into oblivion. And it's pathetic because there has been no real startup that serves that original role well. You know, people say, oh, like, what about, like, Gab? The problem is that all the people who went to Gab were so caught on, like, you know, they don't let us say whatever we want on Twitter that it's like it, it all just became immediately, like, all white nationalists and Nazis. <laughs> they were like, we got to escape the censorship. Let's go to this site. And it was just like it became a legit 
hateful outlet where it's like, oh, my God, I don't want to hang out with those people at all. So the original Twitter was the way to go. Like, okay, pretty much an open, free platform. You know, we're reasonable with it. Obviously, you can't repeatedly harass somebody or physically threaten them or whatever. But outside of that, go ahead, have fun. And it's just they're slowly but surely destroying it. And this is another example of it right here. All right, let's go after Michelle Obama because she has annoyed me very much. She has annoyed me very much. She has annoyed me very much. All right. Michelle Obama has a new documentary coming out, or may have already come out, I'm not sure. Um, But, of course, the media has been mostly fawning over it. And there's a headline in the Daily Beast that, I must admit, triggered me beyond belief. So they said, Michelle Obama is mad at our folks, not Trump voters, quote, that's my trauma. So she's, um, the fact that Hillary Clinton lost the last election, Donald Trump won the election, her response to that is, I'm so disappointed in the Democratic voters who gave my husband two terms because they didn't show up when we needed them And so I feel traumatized by that. So the onus and the blame is on those voters. This is like a perfect encapsulation of that out-of-touch elitist mindset that we allude to all the time on this show, which is that Michelle Obama did not say, okay, hold on, we lost, Democrats lost, Hillary lost, damn, I wonder what Hillary and us Democrats could have done differently in order to win. I wonder what we need to do for the next time around. I wonder who we need to reach out to who we didn't reach out to in the last election. I wonder what arguments we have to make. I wonder what policies we have to push. That's not what she's saying. What she's saying is I'm blaming the Democratic voters and I'm traumatized because you guys didn't come out for us when we needed you. What about when those voters needed you? What about that? What about when those voters needed the Democrats? What about when those voters are still living off $7.25 an hour and there was not a single minimum wage increase for the broader population under an Obama presidency? What about that? What about the fact that millions of people were still uninsured and didn't have health care, even though Obamacare increased the number of people with insurance? It wasn't universal health care. What about that? Why didn't he push for at least a public option? He backed off of it. He had the numbers, but he backed off of it. Why? So where were you for them? When Obama was going around in his second term pushing TPP relentlessly, when trade deals had already obliterated the Rust Belt in the Midwest, where were you for them? Where were you for them? And that's why you had plenty of Trump, or excuse me, Obama to Trump voters. There were plenty of people who voted for Obama twice and then flipped to Trump. But see, she blames them. No, I'm sorry. She doesn't blame them because they voted for Trump. She's not blaming the Trump supporters. She's blaming the Democrats who didn't show up. She's blaming the Democrats who didn't show up. So I guess she's blaming me because I was a Democrat who didn't show up. You know, I, in, in 2016, in the general election, I voted for Jill Stein. 
and I would do it again. And, um, you know, because none of the things that I care about, that I'm concerned about, that I really want, Medicare for all, free college, living wage, and the wars, um, go down the list. Legalized marijuana, universal basic income, none of these things were pushed by Hillary. I didn't believe she was going to fight for any of them. So instead of looking inward and saying, hey, man, what can we do differently? Michelle Obama's going, I'm traumatized because our folks didn't show up. And that, listen, that just shows you the way that elites think about politics. It's not on them to improve lives to earn the votes. It's on the voters to shut up, show up, and then let us govern. It's almost like a divine right of kings type argument. And I guarantee you, if Biden loses, they're going to do the same thing. They're going to do the same thing. They're going to point fingers everywhere else, but at the fact that you guys just picked a, uh, you know, sexual assaulting, cognitive declining war criminal. (laughs) So, you know, there's no inward looking, honestly, and it's crazy to say this, but it's true. After the 2012 loss, the Republicans looked inward more than the Democrats did after the 2016 loss. They literally did a report. An autopsy, the Republicans did. And it was like, they tried to give solutions. Now, granted, Trump came around and totally blew up the entire mold in the first place and um, was not a candidate that they expected to win, but he did. But the Democrats, it was just blame other people all along. James Comey, the FBI, Russia, Jill Stein, Gary Johnson, racism, sexism. It's just, they have a list that they go through. But anyway, this this is the mindset right here. You see it right here. They still haven't learned anything. And it's a damn shame. And it's funny because she has, you know, this is a point that uh, Chris Saliza of CNN loves making. Oh, Michelle Obama has such high, you know, numbers that she should be picked for VP. And that would be a shoe-in election. And they'd definitely be Trump. And it's like, well, no, because you're not factoring in what will happen if and when this person is in the spotlight more. And now Michelle Obama is, gonna, is in the spotlight more with the Netflix documentary. And, you know, I don't know if she's going to stay in the spotlight, but let's assume she does for a second. The numbers would definitely go down. Her approval numbers would definitely go down. Because then you really, you know, when you show yourself to the world and you're in front of them more, there's more scrutiny. With more scrutiny, those numbers plummet. It's, all, it's usually the case that the idea of somebody is more interesting than the reality of somebody when it comes to politics. So, you know. I just find that hilarious that this is this is how simplistic their thinking is and how terribly off base it is. They just think like, well, Michelle Obama's got a high approval rating. Obviously, she'd win. It's not that simple. It's what would happen in the heat of a campaign and what does she actually stand for? And, you know, with more scrutiny and more time in the spotlight, are those numbers going to stay high? Of course not. And there's just one example here. She, the second she comes to the spotlight immediately sort of showing herself as an out-of-touch elitist. Just like the snuggling up to George Bush. Tee-hee-hee, he's a war criminal, but he's my war criminal. <laughs> uh, just go away, please. Okay, next. Um, Here we go. We got an update for COVID, and it's a good one. So we have a new potential treatment 
for the coronavirus. I wanted to share this with everybody because this is one of the more interesting ones so far. Belgian U.S. scientists to llama in search for COVID-19 treatment. A llama called Winter could prove useful in the hunt for a treatment for COVID-19, according to U.S. and Belgian scientists who have identified a tiny particle that appears to block the new coronavirus. So what they're doing is honestly very similar to um, how they make antivenom. Now, I remember one night, maybe a few years ago, I was just really curious. I was like, wait, so if somebody gets bit by a snake and they go to the hospital, obviously depending on the hospital and if they have it, but they could, like, they get given antivenom and they could be healed. And it's like, wow, a poisonous snake bite that would otherwise kill you, and, it, and then you can heal somebody by giving them antivenom. And then I thought, like, how the hell did they figure out what stuff can cure somebody if they get a snake bite, a poisonous snake bite? And uh, when I read about it, I was, like, floored almost as to how simple the idea was. But basically, they take an animal. Uh, it's probably different animals for different snakes. But, like, one example is a horse. You take a horse. You have a snake bite the horse. And then, apparently, for whatever reason, the snake bites are not as deadly for many animals. And the horse will have an immune reaction where their immune system will defeat the poison of the snake bite. And what scientists do is they take the, the fluid, the liquid, whatever it is, of the immune response from the horse, and they take it out of the horse, and then they, that's the antivenom. The antivenom is like the immune response of, you know, the, a horse or whatever animal they're using. Uh, and if you inject that into the human when they get bitten by a snake, it cures them. <laughs> so it's it like, I don't know, it's funny because in some ways when you think of science and you think of medicine, you think of like this really complex stuff that they're doing. But then in other ways, it's like, well, hold on now. That idea is so simple. And that's how they do it. So... In this case, I guess they took some coronavirus particles or whatever and they exposed the llama to it and the llama has the immune reaction and antibodies are created and then they take, they say there's a very specific kind of antibody that's created in llamas where it appears to block the coronavirus and so if you can get that and isolate that and give it to people, it could work as a treatment. Uh, again, I almost hear that story, and I think, why didn't we think of this sooner? Like, why? Because <laughs> again, that's such a simple thing. It's not like it's not like you have scientists in a lab, you know, splicing RNA particles and mixing different chemicals and just trying to figure out like trial and error. No, this was like an idea that's actually simple and kind of proven. And it, you know, now they're moving forward with it to see how how much it works. For people to use the llama treatment <laughs> and i'm going to call it the llama treatment don't get it twisted that's not what it's really called but i will call it that technically it's like antibody treatment or whatever but they give people the llama treatment and they're seeing if it works and you know there's i mean i guess there's a decent amount of hope on this front because it's like yeah this is a proven method of fixing other things so you know why wouldn't it work when it comes to this but obviously they still have to study it they still have to go through the steps i don't know how much they're fast tracking it or whatever it might be but isn't that crazy? So I will say that as terrible as the COVID-19 pandemic and the crisis is, it's really bad, and the economic effects are damaging as well, and now we crossed over 70,000 people have passed away, and over a million are officially infected in the U.S., even though it's way more than that. But there is, there are 
little bits and pieces of things coming out that could give us hope. Um, there's two different vaccine treatments that have some promise um, that are doing well in early uh, trials. And then, you know, remdesivir reduced the sickness time by 31%. That's an antiviral drug uh, that's doing pretty well. There's other treatment that I know that they're using on the front line from my friend in New York. Um, and here's another example of something that shows some promise. So we're working on it, man. We're working on it. And if anything, what this shows is we have the ability if we put our minds to anything. And that almost, that's almost a depressing thought because it's like, okay, well, why haven't we eliminated poverty? Why haven't we eliminated homelessness? Why haven't we had, why don't we have universal health care already in this country? So there are downsides to that. But the upside to that is when we really want something done, I mean, I guess we could do it. And, you know, we're working on it really hard and, Hopefully one of these treatments gets approved very, very soon and uh, it hits the market and we have enough for everybody. Okay. Next. Damn, I'm cruising through the show today. I got to slow down a little bit, man. I'm going to finish this bad boy before... Two hours is even up. Do, do, do. Okay. Anyway, where was I? I forget. Oh, let's talk about the stay-at-home order. There's a woman in Texas who was sentenced to prison for defying the lockdown, for defying the stay-at-home order. Uh, I believe she is. Um, she owns a salon or she works at a salon. I think she owns it. And she was like, I'm not going to shut down. And uh, there was a moment in court. This video kind of went viral. CNN covered it. Uh, let's see how this unfolds, and then I'll talk about what I think of it. Ted Cruz described the decision as just nuts. 
but this is all ironic because just yesterday the governor of Texas decided to ease the restrictions on hair salons, barber shops, uh, and nail salons, allowing those businesses to open up this Friday. And when that happens, if nothing changes between now and then, Shelley Luther will still be in jail. So, listen, I do not know what Shelley's politics are. Um, and But I have a hunch that, you know, her and I may have some massive disagreements and my preferences are not hers and vice versa. But, but, this is such a perfect example of what's going on all across the country right now. You can't lock everything down, shut everything down, and then you don't do universal basic income. You don't do stimulus for the people more than a one-time $1,200 payment that only goes to some people. No, you got to do way more than that. They should have done a recurring UBI payment and a rent freeze and a mortgage freeze. And what you're seeing here is the logical conclusion of not doing a UBI, not doing a rent freeze, and not doing a mortgage freeze. Because if you make it so that people can sustain You don't see somebody like Shelly acting like this. I believe her when she says, I I can't pay the bills. I got to feed my kids. So I have no choice. I have to go to work. This is, that's not selfish. That's not selfish at all. I believe her when she says that, that she doesn't have the money to weather the lockdown storm. So am I sympathetic to her? Absolutely. Absolutely. The government can't lock everything down and then keep charging you for your rent and for mortgage, and you have to pay that on no income. People in this country don't have savings, and that's not their fault. It's our economy is broken. So they don't have savings. They don't have the ability to stay locked down. So then those people, of course, are going to go to work, and then you lock them in prison or jail for seven days. No, 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 no. That's unacceptable. And this is why, you know, I can't blame her. Now, I will say this. If the situation, if they did UBI, and if they did a rent freeze and a mortgage freeze, well, then I I immediately flip my position. And I say, no, Shelly, you're being unreasonable. Go back home. But my guess is that Shelly and most people in Shelly's position, if she could sustain through the lockdown and if she was getting a steady check through UBI and she could afford the bills, then she'd be like, yeah, I'll stay home. Why wouldn't I? Yeah, I'll sit in my backyard. I'll sip a mojito. I'll go watch reruns of I Love Lucy. Like, why not? Why not? Why wouldn't I do it? So, you know, we have to be careful on the left because there are, so, there are a lot of these, like, reopen protests. And, yes, don't get it twisted. Some of the people in the reopen protests are ridiculous. And they're like, I, I got to go back to Chili's. And they're really like trivial things that they're arguing over. And so, yes, you you have full license to mock the people who want to reopen stuff for genuinely selfish reasons. They could afford the lockdown, but they're like, no, I just, I want to go out and get Baskin Robbins, whatever it might be. But we got to be careful because then there's also a very large number of people who just simply cannot afford the lockdown. And so when Shelly says, I got to go back to work, she means it. And I believe her. I totally believe her. So would I, what would I have done? I would, if I'm the judge, I'm not locking her up. No way. No way. And this gets back to something that, you know, I, 
was critiquing Tucker Carlson on this front because he was saying that, like, this lockdown is becoming like we're creating internment camps, like COVID is going to lead to internment camps, and all of your rights are taken away. And my argument to him was like, dude, we, our rights are already gone from NSA spying and the Patriot Act and the illegal offensive wars of aggression. Like, like they, they've been gone, okay? And a lockdown is not – I mean, it's, we have a pandemic. Like, what do, you, what do you want to do? Of course, we have to do something. But I will say that for people who just can't afford it, well, yeah, they are caught between a rock and a hard place, and it's totally unfair. And Congress should have stepped up and done UBI and done rent freeze and mortgage freeze and made it so that they can get through this. And so then that leads to the question of how do you, in a situation like we have right now, right now, how do you enforce a lockdown? Like, what should you do? Because some people argue, if you're going to enforce it, you got to enforce it and you got to lock people up if they violate it. That's what some people would say. Other people would say, well, don't lock people up. That goes too far, but give them a fine which will disincentivize them from going out. That's what some people say. And then there's another position, which is a little bit more lenient, which is have the lockdown and just enforce it by having cops say, listen, you got to disperse, you can't be around here, whatever the case may be. And then that's it. There's no punishment associated with it. There's no you know, prison or fine or anything. It's just the cop shows up and say, you can't do this. And then the person in 95% of the time is going to listen and then, hey, if there's 5% of the time that they're like, no, I'm not going to do it, okay, then you leave them and let them take that risk, and it is what it is. But I think the concern is with that person, then they're also putting other people at risk, and so that it'll keep spreading if that's the approach. But it all comes right back to, but what do you want them to do if it, there's no UBI and no rent freeze and no mortgage freeze, and they got to feed their family? What do you want them to do? So me, what I would do is I would enforce the lockdown in that kind of a way where it's like, just have the cop show up and say you can't do it. And then if they do it, you kind of got to let them do it. And, um, you know, there are downsides to that, but I think it's the least bad of all bad options. Because the real thing that should be done, without a doubt, is universal basic income, a rent freeze, and a mortgage freeze, so that Shelly and everybody like her doesn't feel like, I have no choice here, I have to go to work. So, and for the record, I do think that things are opening up too soon just to be clear. Um, I do. Don't get me wrong. I've always been of the belief that things that can be open should be open. I'm a proponent of beaches and parks being open as long as you have reasonable social distancing. And I read an article this morning that evidence is mounting that outside there's very little transmission of the virus. It's more the danger is more indoors. So I'm totally in favor of things outside with social distancing, with those things being opened up. But it's a tough one because when it comes to salons and barbershops, don't kid yourself, man. Don't kid yourself. That's dangerous. It is. Um, and I think it's opening up too soon. But, you know, without UBI and rent freeze and mortgage freeze, I don't know what y- you can do. I don't, like, what are you going to do? I can't tell her no because you can't pay the bills. So really, honestly, my anger and the onus goes on Congress. It does. It goes on Congress because they needed to do UBI. They needed to do rent freeze and mortgage freeze. And the fact that they didn't, now they put people in this terrible position. So they spent $5 trillion, $5 trillion in bailouts, and people still have to pay rent and mortgage on no income. It's ridiculous, and it shows you the government's not working for you. And now they are actually oppressing you, locking her up for seven days because of this. I think that goes way too far. I'm curious what everybody else thinks. I'm curious what you guys think.
Okay. Oh, now I got a nice juicy story for you. You guys are going to love this one. You are going to love... I got two juicy stories for you here. All right, first let's go to one Bernard Sanders. There's a fellow by the name of Bernard Sanders, and he appears to have finally had enough. Senator Bernie Sanders has thus far not encouraged former Vice President Joe Biden's team to consider Senator Elizabeth Warren as his running mate, despite his long-standing ideological alliance with the Massachusetts Senator. Three people familiar with Sanders' uh, conversations with Biden, whom the Vermont lawmaker has endorsed, told the Washington Post that Sanders has declined to back some liberals' efforts to convince the former vice president to select Warren as his number two. A top spokesperson for the Sanders campaign told The Hill that the senator and his team are not advising the Biden campaign's vice presidential selection process in any way, shape, or form. The senator is focused on building policy task forces to write a, a party platform that puts forward a new vision for America, spokesman Mike Kaska said. Sanders' Senate office did not immediately respond to a request for comment from the Hill. Okay, so first let me just comment on that last part, because I think this is pretty important. Um, the claim is, hey, Bernie is not, you know, the whole vice president thing, he's just not involved in that process, so it's not that serious, don't make this more than it is. Um, but what Bernie's focusing on is building a policy task force that, has a, leads to a good platform that has left-wing ideas, and Bernie's pushing in that direction. That's what he's doing. Um, now, I hate, I don't want to kick a man when he's down. I'm still really, you know, sad about Bernie not winning, not being in it anymore, and all that stuff, but that's ridiculous. It really is, because Bernie, Bernie only had leverage in so far as he was willing to exercise his leverage, and what I mean by that is what I've said a thousand times on this show, which is if Bernie really wanted to get these things done. He would have had to be willing to walk away. And so if he approaches Biden and says, listen, man, you know, it's been a tough race, but I'm willing to step aside, but here are my terms. I will, I'll endorse you, I'll campaign for you, but this is what you must do for me. And then you give him a list of 10 executive orders. Not ones, look, I get it. I'm not, you're never going to force Biden to do Medicare for all because he's Joe Biden. He doesn't support Medicare for all. So there's nothing you could do on that front. Are there other areas where Bernie can nudge him and get enough of a concession where Biden might do some good things? Yeah. Like have one of the executive orders be legalized marijuana. I mean, yes, he, he wrote the crime bill and he was a hardcore drug warrior, but he just felt, he was like, Where's the political winds going? And then he went in that direction, and now the political winds have changed, so you could probably get him to do it, but you have to force him. Hey, here, here's a list of 10 executive orders, including legalizing marijuana. Here are the other things that I'm interested in, you know, freeing nonviolent drug offenders, whatever it might be. A list of 10 awesome executive orders, um, things that Biden can do, he has the power to do, like a Buy America executive order or punishing outsourcers through um, – through an executive order where you cancel federal contracts with them if they outsource jobs. So many things he could do. Here's the list. If you do these in the first 100 days, I will do everything I can to get you elected. If you don't, good luck against Trump. 
I'm going to go lay on a beach somewhere. Bernie could have done that, but it would have required the balls to say, I'm just going to sit out. Now, my guess is Joe Biden probably would have counteroffered and said, listen, dog, I can't, do, I can't do all these. Some of these go a little too far for me, but here are the five I'll do. I'll do these five, and I'll do them in the first 100 days you have my word. And then, boom, everybody's happy. You walk away, we get tangible stuff from Biden, tangible. Uh, his word that in the first 100 days he has to do this, and he's on the record as saying, I have to do these executive orders. I think that's what, if Bernie really wanted to get the policies implemented, that's what you do. You don't get a freaking task force? Do you have any idea how easy it is, whether it's the task force or the platform, for Biden to just say, yeah, 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 go ahead, task force, whatever you want, and then just do none of that stuff? So really what he did, what Bernie did is so weak. I'm sorry, but it's true. It's so weak. He got nothing tangible. He got no time deadlines. He got nothing on the executive order front. Biden's not going to do Dickie McGee's act for us. So that's really depressing. But anyway, that's the side point. The side point is what they say Bernie's focusing on. He ain't focusing on that. I mean, he's trying to get the platform left, but they're just going to ignore the platform. So what's the point? So, okay. They're saying, well, he's not, he's not even pushing Biden to pick Warren for VP. Good! <laughs> Why should he? This is somebody who repeatedly stabbed Bernie in the back on the campaign trail. She insinuated that he's sexist and that he said behind closed doors, a woman can't win the presidency. When I, I guarantee you he either didn't say that or what he said was something along the lines of, because, uh, you know, Donald Trump is a misogynist and because we have a lot of misogyny still in this country, I think it will be tougher for a woman to win. So in other words, he would be the one making like the overly woke point. And she spun it as, you know, as if he's like a caveman and an old school misogynist, sexist caveman. And he was besmirching women. That's how she portrayed it, which is a lie. And then now you want him to go to bat for her? She didn't even, when she dropped out, she didn't even endorse him. And she stayed in Super Tuesday and did siphon votes from him because there are plenty of people who voted for Warren who would have otherwise voted for Bernie if she dropped out, especially if she dropped out and endorsed him. So every step of the way, she didn't endorse him in 2016. She didn't endorse him in 2018. She stabbed him in the back, accused him of sexism. At every turn, she screwed him over. And you expect, and you, like they're saying it as if it's, as if, Warren is entitled to Bernie being like, yeah, I want Warren for VP. Listen, there was a time when I would have loved Warren as VP. Now, I don't like it at all because I don't have any idea what she actually believes in. Because she tells me with her platform, hey, I'm kind of like Bernie, but I'm to the right of Bernie, but in some ways I'm decent, and, and here's my platform, here's what I support. But okay, if you believed in the majority of things in that platform, it wouldn't have been a tough decision for you when you dropped out. You would have instantly endorsed Bernie. You would have put your feelings aside. You would have said, this is, more, this is about more than just me. This is about improving the lives of the American people. This is about raising the minimum wage. This is about getting people health care. Like, of course I'm going to endorse Bernie. If I believe in my platform, if I believe in the majority of things in my platform, it's a no-brainer to endorse Bernie. But she didn't do it. Which leads me to what conclusion? Oh, 
It was never really about the stuff that you said it was about. It was never really about your platform. It was never really about the issues. If it was about the issues, you would have endorsed Bernie. You didn't endorse Bernie, so it's not about the issues. It's about you. It's about you and your ego and narcissism and careerism. And you wanted to be the first female president, Elizabeth Warren. Yes, put me in the history books. Yes. And you lost. And now you feel entitled to this guy's support when you stabbed him in the back repeatedly? I told you guys there's a time I would have supported Warren for VP. Now, I don't want her for VP because I don't know what she believes. She's a shapeshifter. She's a shapeshifter. I don't know what she believes. I don't know what she's going to fight for. I don't think she – how do I know she's going to push Biden in a left-wing direction? When she supposedly got into politics because Biden was too far right-wing and the bankruptcy bill and the corruption, and now all of a sudden she didn't speak out against Biden at all on the campaign trail. I mean, what a joke this is. I'm supposed to support somebody when I don't know what their core is and I don't know what they're going to fight for? It's just, it's insulting is what it is. It is super insulting. And the idea that Bernie, like Warren's owed Bernie's wor- kind words about her, like, oh, yeah, pick her. No, don't pick her. Don't pick her. I, I'm happy that finally, like, the, the problem, though, is, of course, it's too little too late. Like, oh, congratulations, now you're kind of snubbing Warren back. Um, but, you know, even when he was being viciously accused of being a sexist, he was nice. All he said was, no, I didn't say that. He never said, like, you know, this is a political attack, and it's cheap. And he never did any of that. So he was so nice for so long, and then this is finally when there's a little bit of a snub back. But, you know, he's hurt by it, man. I know he's got to be hurt by it. And there was reporting behind the scenes that when she dropped out and then didn't endorse him, you know, the days kept passing, two days, three days, four days, five days. She didn't endorse him. He's like, wow. He was stunned by that. He was floored by that. And it hurt. And so congratulations, Warren. Burned every single damn bridge she had. Entered the race as an economic populist. And then as soon as she brought on the former Hillary and Kamala advisors, all of a sudden she hopped on a bus to Wokesville, and she's been there ever since. All the economic populism is gone. That was when she was leading the race. Now it's super Wokesville. And she lost her identity completely, and she's a joke now. So what an amazing, amazing heel turn. I'm not sure I've ever seen a heel turn like this before in the history of U.S. politics, in my time following, in the modern era. This is the biggest heel turn I think I've ever seen. And she's earned this. She's earned Bernie not saying a kind word about her. In fact, I hope Bernie calls Biden and says, don't pick her. How do you like them apples? Okay. Let's do the final story of the Dizay. Today was a fast show. I don't know how I, like, breeze through absolutely everything. Okay, here we go. Ready? So Joe Biden has been struggling with young people. His numbers are abysmal with young people. And um, there was an article, I think, in the New York Times the other day where they spoke about how he needs to try to go viral on social media. Like, he needs (laughs) – they're trying to appeal to young people in the exact kind of Pokemon go to the polls way that Hillary fails to appeal to young people. So – 
this article comes out explaining how, oh, you know, he's got to go viral and he's an old school politician. That's not enough in these days. And then a few days later, the Biden campaign releases this ad. Do you have any trees? No, I don't. Do you have any nine? Yeah. I always start with dessert. Is the name Maurice funnier than Martin? I like Maurice. One R. Yeah, still try too hard. <laughs> We're going on a speech that I'm going to need you to deliver. We spent one six with the word loquacious. Forty-one down, comedy duo Key and Blank. How many E's and Peel? Three. Three E's and Peel. Three. This is searching. Come on, Keegan, you can do twenty. Keegan, I do everything forty-six these days. Twenty. Do thirty, Keegan. Thirty. Ten more. Thirty. Pretty good, man. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. I'm still working on my sunglasses. Uh, uh, Joe, I, I gotta get going. Where are you going? You're quarantined. You can't go anywhere. We're in quarantine. You're, you're, you're right. You're right. Taking down any threes? I do, Joe. Yes, I do. Oh. 33 million people just lost their jobs because of this pandemic, because of this crisis. 33 million and still rising. Every single week, we break the old record. So the old record used to be, I think it was about 640,000 people in a week during the 2008-2009 subprime mortgage crisis and Great Recession. 640,000 people unemployed in one week. Since this started, it's been like 6 million, 6 million, 3 million, 3 million every week. We have 33 million people lost their jobs. The unemployment rate is about 24.9% right now. Now, I don't know how they used to calculate it, how they calculated the unemployment rate back during the Great Depression, but we are in Great Depression territory, 24.9% unemployment. Great Depression territory, far surpassing the Great Recession. These are numbers we haven't seen since the 1930s. This is out of this world. Guys, before this crisis, 27.5 million Americans were uninsured, which is about 8.5% of the population. Now we have tens of millions more people who lost their insurance. During a pandemic, during a pandemic, People still have to pay their rent and have to pay their mortgage on no income. We spent $5 trillion in a bailout that went mostly to corporations and the rich and the wealthy. Steve Mnuchin, the Goldman Sachs guy, who's the Treasury Secretary, he gets to determine where the bailout money goes, and there's no oversight. All the oversight in the bill is, like, voluntary, and Trump was like, we're just going to we're gonna ignore it. I haven't seen problems like this literally since the Great Depression. And his pitch to young people is to mess around 
with Keegan here. This is his pitch to young people. <laughs> Look at Joe. He's playing cards. He likes ice cream. I like cards. I like ice cream. I'm going to get evicted in the middle of a pandemic. Bro, this is beyond insulting. You appeal to young people with policy. I don't know if you've seen the polls, Joe, but young people, it's like 70 or 80%, depending on what line you use, supported Bernie Sanders. They supported Bernie Sanders because of Medicare for All, free college, living wage, ending the wars, Green New Deal. They supported Bernie for substantive reasons. The way you attract these people is substance. Didn't Hillary already show you Pokemon Go to the polls doesn't work? I will relate to you on cultural grounds. But that's what I told you early on this is what he's going to do. And it's going to be so smug and so insulting that I, I almost wish he would just own it and not reach out to young people at all. I'd rather you not reach out to us at all than do this. Than do this. You guys like Key and Peel, right? Look who I have with me. Do you also like cards and ice cream? Over 70,000 Americans just died. Over a million are officially diagnosed with this virus. We're in a pandemic. The economy is absolutely imploding. We just fully implemented corporate socialism. Working people, regular people are getting screwed, and corporations cannot fail because they get to loot the treasury. Our entire system is upside down. Everything is broken. And you're not giving us a single policy prescription. Not a single one. You're sitting in your damn basement and you're messing around trying to be cute in order to get votes so that you can get the title president and then do Dickie McGee's acts for people. I'm so sick of it. I'm so sick of it. Why are you not taking this seriously? Why do you think young people are incapable of being serious about this stuff? They're the ones feeling the brunt of this stuff. They're the ones with no saving. They're the ones with student loan bills out the wazoo. I... I can't. I can't deal with this. This is out of this world. I've never... How did anybody think that was a good idea? Guys, that had to get through, like, a meeting with his staff. Like, multiple advisors to Joe had to sit around and go, how do we get young people? I got it. Let's do this. There was no voice in that room going, you know, if we're not in... Like, if we were in jovial times where everything is going relatively okay, fine. You could do something like that because everything's going relatively okay. We're nowhere near a time like that. We're nowhere near a time like that. Things aren't remotely okay, and you're acting like they are, and you're joking around. This is, it's just so unserious. The thing that frustrates me more than anything is that it's, there's no connection to reality. So out of touch, so elitist, And, like, they're just doing what they think you might want them to do. Like, that's where this comes from. How do we get them to like us? How do we get them to vote for us? We got to do what we think they might like. So, I don't know. They like comedy. Sure, they like Key and Peele. So why not, you know, and Joe's like the uncle, so he'll have some ice cream and, you know, it'll it'll be cool. It'll be cute. And it's like, no, you can't act like everything is normal and everything is okay when things are actually horrendous. And your freaking candidate is accused of being a a sexual assaulter 
and he's a war criminal who supported the illegal and offensive war in Iraq, and he supported the deregulation of Wall Street that led to the crash in 2008-2009, the Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act, which repealed Glass-Steagall, and he supported all the outsourcing deals that took away, destroyed the Rust Belt. You can't, you can't make this kind of a pitch. It's so disconnected that it's insulting, and it shows you how comfy he is and how comfy all of his corporate Democrat staffers are that they really thought this was the way to go. I could go on with this one forever, but I'll stop here. If Biden wins this election, it'll simply be because it was just a general anti-Trump election, and it will be because older people, it'll be because boomers, you know, middle-class, professional-class boomers came out and supported him in tremendously high numbers. If he wins, that's why he wins. Because it certainly damn well won't be because of young people. That's clear. Okay. All right. That is the show, bitch. I love you guys. I'll talk to you soon. Everybody, stay healthy. I'm out. Peace.